We're reading from Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6, and we're reading from the NIV. That's Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open the door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, that the most of every, make the most of every opportunity, let your conversation always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Bless these words to us. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, Michael. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we pray that out of the reading of that portion of your word, you might be pleased to speak to us this morning. Challenge us at whichever points we need challenging. Shape our lives that we might be passionate followers of the Lord Jesus. Again, we ask in his name. And everyone said, devote yourselves to prayer. And let your conversation always be, be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you know how to answer anyone who asks you. <clears throat> Prayer, witnessing. Two of the things most of us as believers in the Lord Jesus are probably feeling guilty about. Most people, I won't say all, but most followers of the Lord Jesus struggle with prayer and beat themselves up a little bit about need to pray more and then probably the similar group of people maybe slightly different beat themselves up about witnessing about evangelism of feeling guilty about not doing it or not knowing how to do it or scared stiff of it or whatever it is that worries you about evangelism so this morning we're talking about two of your greatest fears it's just lovely, isn't it? So I'm not here to increase your guilt, though that might be inevitable, simply because we're talking about those two topics. Uh, but I wanted to certainly talk, what the, talk about what the Bible says, uh, but at the same time to try to be helpful, to be practical, to relieve the guilt, to give us some handles on how can we approach this in a healthy, helpful way in our life. So... Um, in the context of Colossians, we find ourselves now in the last chapter. From chapter 3 and following, the Apostle Paul has taken a turn, as he often does in it's his style, his way of writing. Um, his pattern seems to be that in the first half of a letter that he writes, he'll talk about some, the issue that is concerning him and or the theological base that addresses that issue. And then on the basis of that foundation, the second half of the letter invariably is him applying those truths to real life of the application. And that's exactly what he does in here in, chapter, in Colossians. Because when you get to chapter 3 and verses 1 to 4, you find that here is the hinge which 
turns the two sides of this letter. Since then you've been raised with Christ, he says in 3.1, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, so at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who was your life, appears, then you'll appear with him also in glory. And it's on the basis of that then, the Apostle Paul goes on to talk about, in chapter 3, take off the old sinful flesh and the old sinful habits that you've had and then put on the robes of the Lord Jesus, the characteristics and attributes that he has for you. And then he says, let the word of Christ, the peace of Christ, and do everything in the name of Christ, dwell in you and be part of you. And that overflows into your relationships at home, at work, between married couples, between parents, between masters and slaves. And now he comes to deal with, having dealt with all of those practical implications, to talk about our attitude towards the outsider, as he uses the word, I think, in verse 5. interesting the Apostle Paul says take off put on get this right before he talks about witnessing Let's get your life right before you go sprouting forth is one of the clear implications certainly of this ordering of material So these two subjects, I guess if I summarise them, it's going to be um, what Paul wants us... Did I do that? I'm going to throw this thing. Did I turn it off, Gary? Alvin did something. Alvin's standing there and it suddenly went off. Oh, well, that's not going to work. Um, I'll give that to you. That's not it. Yeah. No, Alvin's still standing there. That's the problem. That's not mine. That's yours. Go away, Alvin. Go away. Anyway, let's see what Elvin's going to say tonight. <laughs> Devote yourselves to prayer. Yep, yeah, so is that. Don't work against this. Pray for the work of the gospel. This is pretty good, Elvin. Pray for the gospel, for gospel to be a witness in deeds and words. And we're going to close in prayer. <laughs> Elvin, you got some good stuff. Where's mine? Oh, they can't find mine. It was really good. It was. <laughs> Verses 2 to 4, the Apostle Paul says, talk to God before you talk to people. Verses 5 to 6, he talks about talking to God, talking to God about people is the first part. Talking to people about God is the second part. Prayer and witnessing. The order is even significant, isn't it? Before you're going out to be a witness, it's pray. Be directed by God. And the Apostle Paul gives some very specific um, instructions for us. He says for us, for instance, and let's work our way through it because there are about uh, half a dozen specific things that you could be responding to as we go through. 
and I may at some point invite you to give yourself a mark out of 10. Is that something you need to be working on or is this something that, no, you've nailed it. You know, you're an eight, nine, maybe even a 10 out of 10 in what you're saying. What the Apostle Paul says then is firstly, let's talk about the first paragraph, verses two to four. He talks about talking to God about people, prayer. And he says, devote yourselves to prayer. He says three things about it. That word devote in some Bible translations is very accurately translated as persist. That's what the word literally means, to hang on and to keep going, to not give up, to persist, to endure, to be steadfast, to be consistent. This is what, certainly what the Lord Jesus spoke about in parables. We know that. It's what the apostles modelled for us. It's what the book of Acts moves and challenges us with. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, that all 120 disciples, these all with one mind, were together continually devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 1, 14. Acts 2, 42, again, they were continually devoting themselves to apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer continually devoting themselves to prayer. In Acts 6, 4, the apostles, not being distracted by the waiting on tables, make this statement to the people that we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It's what Paul instructs, Romans 12, 12, devote yourselves to prayer. We know that's what the Bible says. We know the Bible repeats it over and over. We are to be devoted. Devote yourselves it's something you've got to decide to do in your life. It's a choice that you make. Devote yourself. If you're a person who is devoted to prayer, who is consistent, who is persistent in prayer, then what does it look like? That'd be a good conversation to have. Have it over morning tea or some point this afternoon or driving home. I did with Rhonda yesterday. I spoke to her about her prayer life and she's not here so I can say whatever I like. And I said, how do you do it? What works for you? And her answers were quite enlightening and helpful. The habits that she has and the way that she does it and the routines that she has in place. Of course, being persistent in prayer, con continuing in prayer, does not mean that we're always praying. Because that's important. We can't. You can't be always praying, can you? Hello? Of course not. There are lots of things to be doing. That's not what the, the Bible's saying. It's not what Scripture is saying. What the Scripture is teaching us is to say that we are to have the attitude of prayer. That every experience, every situation we find ourselves in, it's prayer involved. That we are God conscious in each and every circumstances of our life. How's that going? Where would you place yourself? Scale of 1 to 10. Something to work on? Or, no, no doing pretty well there or I've got a long way to go. One to ten. Give yourself a mark. I love this quote. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that prayer is not to be the spare wheel of our life. That fifth tyre that you've got in the boot of your car that you only get out when there's a problem and there's a flat tyre or something else is going on. Prayer is not to be the spare tyre of our life, it's to be the steering wheel of our life to be directing our life and that whatever situation you find yourself in it's going to be you gathering that up and directing it to the Lord in prayer talking to him having this open ongoing conversation with God about 
each and every situation. Persist in prayer. Secondly, the Apostle Paul says, being watchful in it and thankful. Watchful means alert, awake, both physically and spiritually. 1 Peter 5.8 says that uh, the evil one, Satan, is like a roaring lion walking around, looking for someone to devour. And the Apostle Peter says, be on guard, be alert, watch out. Satan's like a roaring lion. If I told you that a lion, a wild lion, had escaped in the city of Brisbane, in fact in South Brisbane, had been sighted recently in the Sunnybank area, going to your cars this morning after the service, you would be alert, wouldn't you? Send Tony to get the car, <laughs> get him to come back and pick you up. It's physically alert, physically aware of a physical line, but it's spiritually aware as well. In this passage, for us, it means we are to be physically alert, as in awake, concentrating. If we're going to be persisting in prayer, we develop the habit of prayer. One of the dangers of habits is, it's a latent danger, is that they become automatic. We go through the same phraseology, the same, we go on automatic. And we're not connecting, we're not thinking about our conversation. What the Apostle Paul, the Spirit of God, is reminding us is that in prayer, we are to be consistent, but we're also to be alert, concentrating, spiritually alert. That's what Jesus said to the Apostles in the Garden of Gethsemane. Watch and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. Watchfulness, alertness, aware of what's going on around you. So you're at home and your neighbours are yelling at each other. There's a situation to bring to God in prayer. You drive along the road and the ambulance goes the other way. There's a situation to pray about, talk to God about. In all the situations that you find yourself in, that somebody just suddenly unloads to you and shares a burden, that's a thing to pray about. Be alert of what's going on around you. And the Apostle Paul then says that we are to be thankful. Prayerfulness always leads to thankfulness. And of course, thankfulness implies and undergird something foundational for us. Trust God. Be thankful. Not just for his provisions and his promises and the pardon we have through Jesus, certainly for all of that. But trust him that he is sovereign and in control. The roof might blow off the house. You might lose your job. You might get a bad diagnosis. What's going on? God, what are you doing? What are you trying to achieve? You're sovereign. I trust you. I know you're at work and I know you're either trying to strengthen me or develop my relationship with you. I know it's going to work out for good, ultimately. And I also know that you're at work for your own glory and your own purposes. And so therefore, with that foundation, we can be thankful because God is good. He is at work. He is wise in all that he does. And he is sovereign, he is in control. So whatever it is, and I don't, please don't misunderstand me, I'm not wanting to make light that when life does hit us out of left field, it takes the wind out of your sails, it is, it can be devastating. And it may take you a little while to get back on the feet to refocus and remind yourselves, okay, God is good, God is in control. I still hurt and I still don't know what's going on and I still don't like it. 
but I know he's got his hands on the wheel. And that'll bring some level of peace, some level of comfort. Perhaps not the complete removal of it, but it'll steady you in life's storms. Thankful. Persist in prayer, devote yourselves to it, be alert in it and be thankful. What is God doing? Watching and learning, praying about it and giving thanks to God for whatever he is doing and so on. And then going from those general statements about prayer into the next verse, the Apostle Paul says, and pray for us. Now we become specific. They're general statements about prayer in verse 4, verse, in verse 2. In verse 3 it becomes, and please pray for us. And he's rather specific. Pray that God will open doors of opportunity for us and that we'll be clear in how we present the gospel. Three specific things we can do. So for us in prayer, as we devote ourselves to this working towards the outsider, we can pray for people by name, we can pray exactly for God to open doors of opportunity for ministry, for conversation. And, can we pray, and we can pray that we'll be clear in what we say about it. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul's in prison. He's been there for about four years. And he doesn't pray, God, open the doors of the prison and get me out so I can go back to work for you in ministry. Based on a false accusation, Acts 23, somewhere around there, 21, 23. Based on a false accusation, he is arrested, he is incarcerated and kept by the Romans, and for two years he languishes in Caesarea. Then he appeals to Caesar and he gets taken by ship to Rome where he is in house arrest for two years. Acts 28 tells us the story that Paul was under house arrest and he had people coming and going at their own will and he was talking about Jesus and the gospel. Satan locked Paul up because of the gospel. He wanted him to stop talking about the gospel. God allowed Paul to be locked up because he wanted Paul to talk about the gospel to those who were in prison. Just change the audience. Different perspective. Which is why Paul doesn't pray, please get me out of here. But rather, don't open those doors so I can go free. Open the doors of these people's minds and hearts that they can receive the gospel of Jesus. Whatever situation he was in, outward focused, looking for the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus. John Piper gives this quote. He says that we have made prayer a domestic intercom where we call for refreshments from the butler <coughs> rather than a walkie-talkie, a wartime walkie-talkie, which is to be used to call in support for the troops for the advancement of the kingdom of God. We've turned prayer into God help me, God bless me, God comfort me, God me, me, me oh, and them instead of prayer as a walkie-talkie for us to talk to kingdom headquarters about advancing the troops and advancing the cause of the kingdom that's Paul's focus in fact I think it's Piper who goes on to say that Paul and company had stormed the walls of the enemy they'd experienced some success but now they're experiencing a tremendous counterforce and they're prisoners of war Paul had this letter, Colossians smuggled out, and he requests that a missile strike is to be sent to open the doors inside the prison to release more people from the power of Satan and to bring them to God. That's good, isn't it? John Piper. So what are we to pray? Well, you're to persist in prayer and to be watchful in prayer and to be thankful in prayer, generally, and specifically 
pray for us and he'll give you a name. Next week we'll have verses 7 to the end, verse 18. You'll have a whole list of names. Pray for those people, Paul is saying. So you, pray for workers, gospel workers. Pray for them by name. Gospel workers are simply Christians who are sold out to Jesus and who will do whatever they want him to do, domestically, commercially, those in the workplace, those in government, those cross-culturally serving him. Just take the church directory and go through the names and pray for each one. Pray for those gospel workers. Pray for Christians at work. That's the front line of mission. And what do you pray? Paul says, pray that God will open a door which is an interesting study to do as you go through the New Testament. He's praying for a divine appointment. He's praying for an opportunity to speak the gospel into a person's life or part of the gospel story, some aspect of truth that they would come to clearly understand who Jesus is and respond accordingly. This is the word or the idea which is used Acts 14, 27, where Paul and Barnabas, returning from their first missionary journey, gather the church in Antioch together and the text says, verse 27, Paul and Barnabas give a report of how God has opened the door of faith, opened the door of faith for the Gentiles. God did it. We can't. You can't open the door. You might knock on the door, but you can't get a crowbar and you can't open it. You can't manipulate it. You can't argue people into the kingdom. It doesn't work. Pray. Persistently, watchfully, thankfully, specifically, by name, for God to open doors for those people to be able to share the gospel. That's what Paul does with, uh, what God does with Lydia's heart, Acts 16, open to her heart. Or I like 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. Paul says he's going to stay put here for the moment because a wide door for effective service has been opened for me and there are many adversaries, an open door. Book of Revelation, final reference. Chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. The Lord Jesus says that he is the one who opens, no one shuts. Or he is the one who shuts and no one opens. He's the one sovereignly in control. So we need to pray to him that he will open doors. Metaphorically, people's minds and hearts, their understanding, their willingness to respond and hear the truth. And then what do we pray? Specifically, Paul says, and pray that I will be clear in how I present it, as I should. To be clear. Which, of course, implies that you need to know the gospel story. You need to know, truth. You need to know the truths of the gospel. How are you doing with that? Scale of 1 to 10. 8, 9, 10. 1, 2, 3. What do you need to do? What's your biggest fear about witnessing? What is it? For many people is I'm going to get asked a question and I won't know the answer and I'll be embarrassed, I'll be humiliated by it, or I'll be mocked, I'll be made fun of. And that I, I won't have a clever retort. I, I, I won't be able to defend the faith. Well, we can help you with that. There are courses, there are materials available where we can help you know it better, to be more confident in the truths that you have, particularly if you're a parent. Natalie Kane has written a book. You should get that book. She's got a website and she is passionate about teaching her children and they were, I think, four, five and six when she started. And I don't know how old they are now, probably eight, nine and ten. Where she talks to her kids about all of the things that apologists talk about. How do you know there is a God? How do you know Jesus rose from the dead? Why do you believe the Bible? 
She addresses all of those questions, 40 of them in fact, in that first book of hers. I think she's got a second book coming out. If you're a parent, I commend it to you. It's written for you as a parent of how do I explain this to my children? Clarity in presenting the gospel. So that's the first thing the Apostle Paul says. Let's talk to God about people. And let's pray specifically for Christians who are on the front line that God will give them an opportunity, open the door, and that they'll be clear in what they say about Jesus. See, prayer doesn't shut us in with God and leave the world out. And in fact, prayer shuts us away to be alone with God in order to prepare us to go out to engage the world. We should bring the names of the people we love who don't know Jesus into that prayer room. We should name names, articulate situations, submit our requests and ask God to open doors. Well, having prayed, now he says, be careful in the way that you conduct yourselves, in the way you act, with outsiders and make the most of the opportunities. He's now talking about our life and in a moment he'll go on to talk about our lips, our speech, our conversation. Be wise in the way you act. Be wise. You derive wisdom from God's word. Base your life, daily life, on the wisdom found in God's word. Live your life in union with the scriptures. Notice Paul says, pray, order your life correctly, then it's witness. It's the order. Don't use that as an excuse, but it really is the priority. Your life has to be authentic in order for the witness to have credibility. Daily life will present us with opportunities. It does. Apostle Paul says, make the most of it. Grab it. Grab a hold of it. It's fleeting. It won't be there all the time. If it's there now, it may not be there in half an hour. It may not be there tomorrow. It might be on the bus coming home. It could be in the lift. It could, whatever situation it is. It could be in a coffee shop. I always make it a habit in coffee shops to always engage the staff. Always. And I try to do it in a humorous way. I try to make them laugh. That helps them to relax. Doesn't always work. Sometimes it rather shocks them. My latest little thing that I say <coughs> is if I have a cup of tea, they'll bring you a, a tea and a cup and the milk and then they'll put it on your table and I say to them, what, do I have to pour it? <laughs> and some of them laugh. And some of them are, who do you think you are? <laughs> then they realise I'm joking and they'll smile. But that just builds a bridge for more of the conversation. And so it's just a matter of, and eventually you get on to, what do you do? And then you tell them. And it may open the door, it may not. Not my job to open doors, that's God's job. I just have to be available. I just have to be willing, knocking on doors. Make the most of the opportunities God sends you. Here is a disturbing but also an empowering thought. The early church, who in those references I said much earlier, devoted themselves to prayer. The early church had none of our resources to advertise the gospel. You ever thought about this? No TV, no radio, no cinema, no national holidays, no Christmas and Easter. 
No tracks, no books, no bumper stickers, no cars for that matter. No cards, no t-shirts, no jewellery, crosses or anything else. No church buildings. And yet, this passage, by living out the gospel in private and in public, personally and relationally, God used them to turn the world upside down. It's worth thinking about. The witness of a life in a fallen world is powerful in the hands of God. If the life is consistent, not perfect, none of us are, but consistent. And I reckon God says encore. I'll have more of that, please. That's exactly what this passage is saying. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Is there something you've got to change in the way you are acting towards outsiders? Scale of 1 to 10. Where would you be? And then finally he moves from life, he moves to lips in verse 6. He talks about winsome words. Wise acting, winsome words. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with soul. Responding or answering everyone for whatever they want to ask you about. Three things, be gracious, be engaging, be sensitive. Be gracious, not condescending, not condemning, be kind, be gentle, be truthful, be thoughtful, especially if there is an open door and you're talking about the gospel and they want to argue with you, be gracious, not argumentative. You can win the argument and close the door. Be gracious. Be engaging. And that's the phrase, uh, let your speech, your words be seasoned with salt. What does that mean? Well, nobody knows. That's the reality. We have a guess. It's a metaphor. Oh, what's salt used for? Well, it's, it is a preservative, so our speech should be a preservative and removing foul talk and all that stuff from our lives. I don't think that's what it means here. You ever had food without salt? I do all the time because I'm not allowed to have salt, so I've gotten used to it. But when you have it the first time, what does salt do? <clears throat> Gives it that little punch, doesn't it? That little heightens the flavour. If you've never done it, if you don't know the sheer joy, get a, get a tomato and just bite into it. It's absolutely delicious. Put a little bit of salt on it and bite it again. You will be in heaven. It's what salt does. It adds to. So in your conversations with outsiders, be engaging. Leave them wanting more. Be clever, be witty, be honest, be open. If you're just simply honest and humble, you'll be very attractive to the non-Christian non world because that's not their world. It needs to be ours. Be engaging. Be gracious, be engaging, and then be sensitive. It's interesting, please note that here, the witnessing is not you initiating it, it's you responding to. It's answering a question. It's you praying and being available, but it's not you doing anything. It's not you at the water fountain saying, anyone who drinks from this fountain will thirst again, but let me tell you about he who has, you know, the water of life. It's nothing corny like that. 
It's not you manipulating or being clever in that way. It's you simply being honest. I'll go to the shops tomorrow, probably, or Tuesday, certainly. And, on the, and invariably, the, the checkout chook will say, <laughs> well, they're not all young. <laughs> will say, you, uh, what, how was your weekend? Yeah, it was good. Oh. Well, they'll ask you, what have you got planned for the day? Uh, how's, all you've got to do, how was your weekend? Yeah, it was good. You know, Saturday, did nothing, sat around, watched a couple of movies. Sunday, went to church, uh, did this in the afternoon. <coughs> just all you've got to do. And just the mention, went to church. If God is at work and if God is opening doors and if God wants to, then even that little honest aside can lead to a conversation. Do you go to church? Yep. What church do you go to? My neighbour across the road, whom I told you about a couple of weeks ago, I bumped into him again. Question out of his mouth, how's church, Daryl? <laughs> I think that's an indication. He doesn't know what to talk to me about. <laughs> and that's the danger for us as Christians. We become so Christianised in our little bubble that we have, we're not aware of what's going on in the world and we have no small talk to engage with them on. So we have to be godly in the world. Be sensitive, which also probably implies that we can't just use our standard presentations of the gospel. Jesus never said the same thing twice. So you might need to learn more about the gospel. Alpha's coming. It's a brilliant course. Come along and just watch it. If you're not ready to invite someone, if that sort of fruits you out, well, you come and you enjoy it and learn it. If you don't want to come to that on a Tuesday night, then get them off the internet and expose yourself to that presentation of the gospel. It's good material. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul says for us. This passage is answering the question for us, what can we as ordinary believers, what can we do to make sure that outsiders hear the gospel? The passage assumes that the church, is, the believers are committed to both living the life and speaking authentically. Life and live, presentation of the truth. So what is our responsibility to the outsider? Well, they're always to be on our minds. We should be seeker aware, conscious. These people don't know Jesus. Pray for the opportunity to share the gospel. Be ready to take the opportunities that God gives you. Be wise and be gracious. Well, that's enough of the passage. What stands out for you? What did God say to you out of all of that this morning? Devote yourselves to prayer. Being watchful in it. Is that something you're going to work on? You're going to pray that God will open doors of ministry? Is that what you're going to do? Pick something. Make a commitment. I am going to do this this week. Do I need to work on proclaiming the gospel clearly? Do I need to understand it better? Have I got to change the way I'm behaving and acting towards outsiders, non-Christians? Do I have to change the way I speak? I have to work on that so that I've got to be more gracious more salty or is it I've got to increase my knowledge so that I know how to answer the questions that people are asking which one of those are you going to work on this week pick one and write it down and share it with someone and be held accountable for it let's pray 
Father, thanks again for your word and for the clarity of it. Lord, help us not simply to be hearers, but help us to be doers of your word. Lord, assist us as we analyse, as we respond. Which one of these half a dozen things needs to be at the top of our list for this week? Help us to think about that and to respond to it. And then can you help us with it so that we do improve, that we do get better, that we are becoming passionate followers of the Lord Jesus. We ask again in his name. Amen.